610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I've got hockey up. You want me to pay attention to you. I get it. How you doing, man? Well, the Flyers have done something nice for you, which is they're down to nothing after the first intermission. So there's really no reason for you to watch it right now. I don't so find that to be very nice. Now, now you can focus, all right? So focus and, and on maybe, you? maybe if you turn it off, they'll do better. Oh, you, so you're saying that I'm the jinx. Well, you know, somebody's got to be the jinx. Are you one of those people who, who thinks that they right. have control over things? Uh, no, not at all. But I'll take one for the team and yeah. I'll turn it off. Vito, you'll just have to message me an update if there's any scoring updates so we know what's going on and we're current. All right. So then we that. need to know if they win now that you turn it off. Then I'll never watch again. You are not watching the Flyers the rest of this playoff. Uh, that's not going to happen. Anyway, let's get to our guest well, lineup. You're responsible. No, I'm not responsible at all. You're responsible. Let's get to our guest lineup. 405, we've got the public address announcer for the Philadelphia Union, Kevin Casey, hopping on to talk a little soccer. 435, uh, ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan calling in to talk some NHL playoffs. Jeff, what are you watching on TV these days? What's, uh, what's taking up your attention? Well, I was watching hockey, but now I need to make sure that you don't. So, <laughs> so uh, apparently I'm not watching hockey. And I'm watching the Phillies, but probably only the first five innings these days. Because the second the starter goes out or when the starter gets to the fifth inning, I know it's going to go awry. So there's really no... It's amazing. I couldn't wait for baseball to come back, and now I can't wait for it to go away. Are you really trying to make my head explode to start the show? The Phillies are 5-9 and on the season. Only the Pirates are worse in the NL. They've lost five of their last six. Jeff, in a three-game sweep to the Orioles, 23 of the 26 Orioles runs came in the fifth inning or later. Uh, The Phillies' bullpen right now is 10.13, and that is down because... Uh, Walker came in and pitched two thirds inning scoreless in relief uh, at the end of the game last night. What are we seeing right now from this team? Uh, we're seeing no pitching. Uh, if you take Aaron Nola, starting pitching routine, for a couple innings. For a couple innings, that's not what you need your starters to do, especially in a season like this. I mean, you ha- you have a season where you have back to back to back to back to back games, so you need your starters to be able to go six, seven, eight innings. The only person who's going any length right now is Nola. I mean, Zach Wheeler hasn't gone particularly long. Arietta was was cruising along and then just exploded oh, last night. Yeah, he Vince Velasquez. He was just he was moving along, doing fine. Wait, 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 wait. Tonight you got your wish though. Uh, yes, Spencer Howard Spencer and Howard is starting instead of Velasquez. So if I would have told you at the start of the season that a few weeks in uh, after, what, 15 games, mm-hmm. that Alec Bohm would be starting at third tonight and Spencer Howard would be starting on the mound, you would say what? I would not be surprised in the least. But would you think it's because the team's doing well or they're just an utter disaster? I don't think it's either. I think that this was the plan all along. So I don't think that it w- anything factored in as to how bad they've been playing. I would have been more surprised if, if he was playing first base because then you would have had people up in arms and going, see, this is it. Reese Hoskins has to go. Everybody is on Reese Hoskins right now. Actually, the biggest hit- hitting problem right now is Scott Kinger. I wanted to ask you about that. He had COVID. And do you think that is impacting his health or how he was able to prepare at all? Or is it know what is going on right there right now i have no he's idea not playing he, again tonight he hasn't so said it so he's gonna play it second again tonight he's not gonna play for the second night in a row hoskins play, lineup. you see the play segura made at second base yesterday diving across the middle and then flipping it to gregorius that was an amazing play 
What do you think the strongest infield alignment is for this team? Do you think it's Segura at third or is it Segura at second with Boehm at third? And, and mind you, we have to preface that by saying nobody really knows what Alec Boehm is defensively right now. That's been the question about him all along. There's been no question about whether he'll be able to hit in the majors. His first hit was a double right out the box, but it's defensively that the questions have been there about him. Well, look, we, we went and saw Alec Boehm when he first got to Williamsport. Didn't you interview him like right after his first game or something like we that? Did. We did. We interviewed, actually we interviewed him before that game. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think it was before you were, the, it, it you was, were in Maryland for that game. Actually, you traveled down there. I think. No, 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 no. That was for, that was for Brian Stott. That was Bryson Stott. Okay. Yeah. Spot. yeah the, 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 the bone was in Williamsport. Okay. And the problem with him was they were worried because he is so tall that it's hard to bend down and, and make the plays at third. But I was actually pretty impressed. And then by the time he got to Reading and we went to see him at Reading, his skills at third base had vastly improved. So I think he can stick there. But then the question becomes, are they going to stick with Reese Hoskins or is Bone going to be there? Because now you have a question of what do you do with Kingery? Okay. Are you, are you going to continue to play Bone at third? And then who's the guy that sits? Well, I wonder whether they put Kingery in center at all because Hazley's on the DL right now for at least 10 games, backdated a little bit. So Quinn's right now your center fielder. And what's wrong with that? Well, I don't think they're going to make him play every day. I think they'll platoon him like they Why not? Because I'm worried about his ability to stay healthy. Why don't we go back to baseball after we talk some soccer, though? Okay, can we do that? All right, yeah. All right, so here's the thing. We get the public address announcer for the Philadelphia Union on the line, Kevin Casey. Kevin, how are you doing today? Great, guys. How are you? We are absolutely fantastic. Uh, fun to hear you back calling the games. Jeff's going to start. He's got a question for you. Yeah, Kevin, we know about all the stuff you do around soccer, but pe- what people don't realize, I think, about you is that you are, you are a world man when it comes to history and knowledge, and you actually teach U.S. history, right? I do, Jeff, yes. That's a, right. that's a, that's a high bar to try to, to, try to, to raise to, though. I'm going to tell you that right now. All Just right. Well, so new question yet? <laughs> yeah, that's right. As a U.S. history teacher, we're going to ask you a sports U.S. history question. You ready for this? Oh dear You're Lord! Here? Yeah, go ahead. All right. What sports Hall of Fame enshrined Abraham Lincoln? Ah, uh, what sports Hall of Fame enshrined Abraham Lincoln? Now, I'm going to give you a teacher trick: is you divert. Uh, when you don't know the answer, and I will tell you that I, I am aware that Benjamin Franklin is in the Swimming Hall of Fame Kevin, for fairness, creating wooden, you know wooden flippers. Jeff is an attorney, and he doesn't like to let people divert from. No, the no, I just, I just learned something. Let him go. I want to hear. I want to hear who else is in the Sports Hall of Fame. That yeah. I don't know. See, this is what happens when I have no idea of the answer of what the <laughs> Hall of Fame Abraham Lincoln is in. I'm going to go and tell you what I do know, and. Yeah, so uh, Benjamin Franklin created these wooden flippers that um, sort of allowed you to, uh, you know, make your way through the water and put them on your hands. And for that, he is enshrined in the Swimming Hall of Fame. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and, uh, I mean, it's 1860s, right? So what, it's got to, it can't be the Baseball Hall of Fame. Nope. I don't know, guys. Tell me. You want to phone a friend? He was in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. He lost one match out of like 300. That can't be true. Is that real? Uh, We we made sure to double check it. I'll send you the link afterwards to 10 things you may not know about Abraham Lincoln. And it's the first thing I was shocked to, believe me. But Jeff got all excited. Awesome. Jeff got all excited when he saw you were a history teacher. And he's like, oh, we got to do this. uh, Listen, man, I I wouldn't mess with Abraham Lincoln. 
uh, I mean, he was kind of underweight, though, a little bit, though. So You should see some of the quotes of him calling people out that they have in this story. You'll enjoy it. Let's get to your story a little bit. You're you're a man of of the Philadelphia region. You've announced games for everybody from the Wings to the Kicks to the Camden River Sharks, college games, U.S. soccer, now the Philadelphia Union. Tell me what it's like to announce for the Philadelphia fan base and what you've learned in that that time. It's it's been um, such a blessing uh, the the journey that I've been on. It all started at Eastern University uh, in Radnor, Pennsylvania. I was a sophomore around oh I guess uh, 95, 96, and uh, was sitting in the stands. I was uh, playing uh, college soccer up there and, and at a men's basketball game. Our athletic director was calling games, and I just asked him if I could give it a shot, and he said, "Sure, go ahead." and I had a buddy who was a DJ, and mid '90s that was the height of the ESPN Jock Jams, right? So yes, we brought down some, uh, we brought down some Jock Jam CDs, and uh, I played some music and announced the starting five, and uh, you know from there it just kind of uh, blossomed. And you know the one thing that I'll always tell um, young people who are getting involved in the industry and even students and things like that, it's it's you know imagine if I didn't have the courage to, to ask the athletic director, if I could do that, all the cool things that I would have missed out on. So it's, you know, you got to really blaze your own path and make your own way. And it starts by just asking. Right. So, um, yeah, I've had, I've been blessed. I've, I've been working with a lot of, um, teams in the Philadelphia market and I've been lucky enough here to sort of make my niche as a, as the soccer guy, uh, in the area, which I, I love cause I'm a soccer guy right now. I'm watching, uh, Bayern shred Barcelona right now in the uh, quarters of the Champions League. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been blessed, guys. It's been fun. So one of the hard things about being a soccer announcer is pronunciation of the names. How much time do you spend working on pronunciation? It's interesting, man. It's, it, it, I would say that um, uh, working in minor league baseball prepares you for anything because nothing is offered to you as as helpful information you sort of have to get everything on your own and make it up as you go along and then it seems like as you work your way up the ladder everything gets a little bit easier because more things are prepped for you so actually uh mls matches are fairly easy because within the media notes on the roster next to the names are phonetic spellings of the names and if you have any questions on those there's usually a pr guy there from the team that you can ask him now I have worked national team games where it's, it, that doesn't happen. So national team games get very tricky. Um, we once had a match at, at um, I guess it was probably PPL Park then, and it was the Greek national team playing Nigeria, I believe. And uh, I, had a, I had a list of, of Greek names with, with long last names and no help on how to pronounce them. And um, we, had, we had the union's uh, color guy at that time, Peter Pappas, his grandfather or his father was, was from Greeks. And we were in a room with him on the telephone asking how to say these names. So that's, that's sometimes awful. it's easier. I've had the Chinese national team, the women's national team, you know, without any help on how to pronounce names. So that was a bit of a challenge in its own right. But I'll tell, I'm going to tell you a trick. Let me tell you a trick on how you say the names if you don't know how to say them. Yes. Just just say it with confidence because there's only 30% of the people that are really ever listening to you anyway. And if you say it yeah, confidently, no, nobody really knows you messed up. Yeah, nobody really knows anyway other than the, the player and the people on their team. I, I did have a question. It's, so, it's the old Bob Euchre euphemism. Ah, nobody's listening anyway. Yeah, no, but you're there. You don't make yourself the game, but you're there to kind of complement and accentuate the game. But 
when you weren't able to call games, you found some fun uh, with your life without, without soccer series where uh, you were calling everything from going to check the mail to um, you name it with your kids dressing up in your game day attire. Tell us about that a little bit. You went to a Wendy's drive through and ordered with your PA yeah. board. They, they were ridiculous, weren't they? But we had so much fun doing them. You know, it, it, came, it started out as a lark. My my 15-year-old daughter, uh, it was the, the date back in March when the union were to have had their home opener and it got canceled. And she said, Dad, wouldn't it be funny if we made a video, since you don't have anything to announce, of you just sort of walking around the house and announcing various things and dressed up in the suit and bow tie like I would wear to a union match. And so, um, you know, before I knew it, she had talked me into um, – not only announcing the empty mailbox, but going to a Starbucks and, and in a crowded Starbucks announcing the order of a drink from her friend. And, you know, we sort of put that one out there and it was well received. And then, you know, we started to see the comments coming back in that, you know, throughout the pandemic, it was like people were saying, thanks for giving us something to have something to smile about. And then it sort of became within our family, kind of our, our, our pandemic mission to just make these crazy videos and and uh give some some people just uh you know something to smile about the, and take their mind off some of the things you know and it got to the point where i, I was uh we my favorite one was the one where we did the episode with uh, lou nolan and and matt cord and tommy smith helping out with it too and you know we had fang here at the house mowing the lawn for one episode so it, it, it was a lot of fun to do wait how much do you pay fang to mow the lawn <laughs> I mean, I, I think it cost uh, a pizza. <laughs> How does he do? Jeff's it was, ordering, it was ordering one right a pizza now. or two, and he was happy, yeah. <laughs> so we do have the return of soccer, finally. The union exceeded yep. almost everyone's expectations, and the MLS is back turning, making it to the semifinals, and losing a close one to the Portland Timber. What were your biggest takeaways of the team from that tournament experience? One of my biggest takeaways, which I think is a change from what we've seen in the past, is is this chemistry that we see within the team and consistency within the lineup. Um, you know, in the past, I just feel like we, we have always had different changes where you sort of, you know, had different guys trying to fill different holes. And what I love about this team is we know, um, for the most part, when healthy, who's going to be filling out the 11. And I think because of that, we're seeing a chemistry um, within within the team and, and a cohesiveness of how they're playing right now. And I think that's been kind of uh, the most fun to see. You know, um, w- within the midfields, I, I really think um, it's been great to see Brendan Aronson develop, um, you know, a couple of those passes that he made um, from the midfield in the tournament are, you know, probably tickets into Europe uh, at some point here. And so, you know, watching him partner with Jamiro in the midfield has been great. Watching Andre Blake's play was was inspiring because, um, you know, we saw him look a little different in the uh, in the playoffs at times, and, and so to see that level of consistency and um, just high level of play from him is is something that uh, going forward we should be excited about. Even though the games <clears throat> weren't in the stadium here, there were some fans on the field and. I made sure to tune in on Twitter to, to hear you do the lineup introductions into the stadium. You did the goal calls. What, what was that like to, to give the feeling for the fans of what it would be like without actually having the game there in front of you? I'll tell you, one, one of my favorite things of being part of this organization is the connection uh, with the fan base. Um, you know, I'm just a fan myself who happens to uh, 
to be given this platform to to uh, to work the games on the uh, PA. And so um, it's my goal to try to do everything I possibly can to to give the fans sort of a connection to the game. And and so I decided that I would try and do the uh, the Twitter live so that fans could see the pregame videos on the on the board and hear the starting eleven and. You know, I try to make the goal calls too to try and get everybody uh, in, into it as well. So I'm going to continue to do it as long as they don't, uh, as long as the fans aren't in the stadium. I'm going to try and do everything I can to make sure, you know, that there's a connection there with the fan base um, because at the core, man, they're the heart of what we're doing. So um, whatever I can do on my small little part, I'm willing to do. You know, you talked about Brendan Aronson and the way that he played during this tournament and the possibility of him. Uh, going overseas, that's been kind of the talk of of the tournament, at least from the union perspective. Uh, what have you seen about Brendan's growth, and do you really anticipate him heading east? I absolutely see him uh, uh, going uh, over to Europe at some point. Um, the development that I've seen in him has really been just the way he sort of, um, you know, I thought maybe uh, early on the, the physical aspect was one that he was chasing a little bit, you know, trying to play against the bigger, stronger guys. But what I see in him is is the speed and agility that he brings to the table, along with his vision of the field. Um, you know, some of the some of the passes that he's making are just uh, world class, uh, and you can see just with the with the, a little taste of what was to come with him as he continues to develop physically. Right? I mean. Um, he, he's still a really young guy, and and I think uh, I think he'll definitely move over. I don't think he's going to be the only one. I think McKenzie's got a bright future um, as well. I know Celtics looking at him um, pretty seriously. That's that's just from what I've been seeing on social media. Um, so I think it's a feather in the cap of the Union's academy program to see these guys going uh, over to Europe and playing. And I think it's only going to then further the academy, which is only going to make our club stronger as well. And see, that was, that was the question that I had for you is the union is now going to be almost a victim of its own success. They're going to develop these players. And then you have fans that are going to say, why can't we keep them here as opposed to them going abroad? Is there, is there any way that the U.S. can avoid players going to Europe or is, is this what's going to be the model? Is, is the union, teams like the union are going to develop these players, have them come up and hopefully get enough notoriety that more people will go there and just keep developing? Yeah. I think to a certain extent it might be the model. I think you see other clubs. Uh, one club that comes to mind is Ajax, um, which is a big European club, and they're sort of under the same model of developing guys. And, you know, the model is the more you develop guys, and you can sell them, the more guys you're going to develop, right? The more people are going to want to come and play the academy. So it may seem in the short term uh, we're victims of our success, but I think if you're looking uh, long-term, you know, it's only going to make our academy stronger and it's only going to then sort of allow us to develop more and more players, you know. So there's not just one Aronson or McKenzie. There's there's multiple Aronsons and McKenzies if that becomes sort of the model of, of the program. So I think that's only going to be a benefit in its own right. We've had the opportunity to sit with Coach Curtin a few times. Uh, we got to talk to him while he was in Orlando from the bubble. Can you talk about the importance of his demeanor with this team? He's weathered some of the, the criticism in the past to now put the team in this place. Can you talk about his steadiness and how important that is? That's such a great word, too, steadiness, right? Because I think that's what he really brings to the table. Because for, uh, you know, the longest time, the fan base uh, was, was uh, you know, very critical of him. Um, and he sort of just weathered that storm. And he's a Philly guy through and through, right? He gets it. He understands 
the pressures of, of, uh, you know, what it means to be a, a head coach in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, it, he also knows that when a team's going well, there's no better fan base that are, that's going to support you than the Philadelphia fan base. And, you know, I've had a chance to do some Q and A's with him over the, uh, over the quarantine here. And, and that is the one thing is if he's a, he's a, such a relatable guy, um, such a down to earth guy. And you can see how that translates to his team as well. You know, um, he seems like he would just be an absolute great guy to play for. You talked about the Philly fans, uh, you know, the sons of Ben are becoming legendary. The fans in Subaru Park are, are probably one of the best in the league. What's it going to be like when they return, uh, I think, the 25th, and there's not going to be any fans there? Is it going to be something that they are going to get past, or is it going to be something that teams like them struggle with not having the fans there? I mean, I, I would have to say, from the team standpoint, I think playing in Orlando without fans, you know, uh, has given them sort of the the experience of, of you know, um, sort of developing their own motivation and not feeding off the fan base. So I don't think it's going to be much of an issue for them. It's heartbreaking um, to not have fans in the stadium, especially knowing how rabid our fan base can get, you know. And I've been asked, you know, how are you going to get up for a goal call when it's an empty stadium? And, and my, my response to that has always been, it's probably going to be the most important goal call that I've ever made because, I literally want to make sure that everybody, every union fan in the Delaware Valley hears, hears me when I make that goal call because the passion of that first goal call in an empty stadium is, is trying to encapture the, the passion of every union fan that's not able to be there and experience it. So I think to some extent um, it's, it's going to be the most important one for me. Well, we can't wait to start seeing those goal calls in person, of course, but we'll definitely look forward to them streaming on Twitter and uh, you know, thanks for what you did trying to get people through the pandemic and uh, wish you great health and uh, continued success. Thanks so much for the time. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Jeff, the, when, when we get the, the background of these guys, uh, it's, it's fun to me. The history question, you, you just kind of came up with that because I mentioned he was a history teacher, mm-hmm. but then we end up in these fun conversations where you learn that Ben Franklin <laughs> got stuff too. See, he, he is a great history teacher. He yeah. Actually, he educated us. I, see, and I was surprised because right? normally mm-hmm. the attorney in you would not let somebody change the topic. And instead you were so enthralled by what he changed the topic to that you were going to let him not even answer the Abraham Lincoln question. I'm a U.S. history buff, so I love it. He could he could give me that kind of information all day long. I'd be happy. All right, so I'm going to ask you an honest question. Did I not fanboy enough? No, but you asked an honest question, and we talked about Honest Abe, so it worked out well. There we go. We did yeah. our right. uh, meanwhile. Right, let's talk some sports now. Three nothing in the Flyers game, so nothing there. We want to talk. All right, about. let's not talk about that. <laughs> we'll still get there in a little bit. You want to go back to baseball a little bit more, Phillies, because that's exciting. I'm sure you got a lot more to complain about there. So I've got a crazy stat that I saw on Twitter for you, Jeff, because um, you know I always enjoy these crazy stats. Mm-hmm. If the Phillies bullpen pitched 21 consecutive scoreless innings, yeah, they'll have the worst ERA in the majors. That's how bad they've been. Their opponents are hitting 366 against them right now. Uh-huh. I mean, this is just and at the same time, you have the dichotomy of JT Real Muto leading the National League in slugging percentage, which by the way, he still doesn't have a contract, Jeff. Yes, I was okay. just you made that's it okay. minutes before saying it. Bryce Harper leads the majors and on on base percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they've got 40% of the home runs for the team. 
Uh, it's just very Jekyll and Hyde in terms of days where there's offense, there's no pitching. Oh, look look at Reese no Hoskins. Reese Hoskins has been struggling mightily. You told me he's going to be better. He got a haircut and shaved his mustache. I did. I, I really thought the mustache was going to make a difference, but apparently it didn't. So I don't know why they're not sitting him. Give him a rest at this point. What good they is it? Last night. They sat him last night, but he's back in the lineup. Tonight. No, no, no. I, I would give him multiple days off at this point. And, and just just let him get away from it, get, a, get his head clear, and maybe that'll do something. I still think that he's struggling. I'm still going to blame this on Gabe Kapp. I think Gabe Kapler. I, really I blame it on the, the pitching coach too that they had. Was it Chris Young? Was that their pitching coach at the time? Yeah, but I don't understand how the f- pitching coach has anything to do with this. As far as I'm concerned, There's the, the whole pro- team philosophy of trying to make pitchers something that they weren't. No. <clears throat> I'm not saying that Nick Pavetta would have been a good pitcher, but they totally. No, no, no. But I'm it. talking about Reese Hoskins here. I'm not talking about the pitching coach. I'm talking. I'm saying that Gabe Kapler ruined not the hitting coach. Reese Hoskins. Because what happened was he tried to turn Reese Hoskins into a leadoff hitter or a second hitter where he was taking too many pitches. That was not his game. It never was. It wasn't his game in Reading when he was mashing at home runs. It wasn't in Lehigh Valley. It wasn't when he got up here. And there was, remember, he was on record pace when he came up to the major leagues with the number of home runs he was hitting when he first got up here. I don't know why you mess with that formula. And as a result of that, he still looks, and you hear Ben Davis on the call sometimes say the same thing. He looks like he's confused, whether he doesn't know to take a pitch or just be aggressive and swing. And you can't have a power hitter that's sitting there looking for pitches the way that he's looking for pitches. I get it with a leadoff hitter. Reese Hoskins is not a leadoff hitter. He's not a second hitter. He should be three, four, or five in this lineup. Well, not the way he's hitting right now. Well, yeah, but that's because the mentality the, the mentality that they put him in changed everything. He's got to get back to that. And if he can't get back to that, then I don't know what purpose he's going to serve. Phillies get back to it tonight against the Mets. Like we said, Alec Bona, Boma third, Spencer Howard. the Cardinals play? On the mound. I'm going to get to them in one second. Uh-huh. Um, and Connor Brockton in the bullpen. Not a great start last night, but again, first pitch whatever his first it's his first time out I'm not, there i'm not going to overreact to that right. and lump it with what's going on with the bullpen i still have hope with him um but that is three of their top people coming up for those positions yep. in- and now they have one of our other favorites jojo romero's coming in so back up today austin davis sent down to lehigh valley i think they're just trying to improve the era of the bullpen by sending down the guys with high era uh, that doesn't change anything the, the era still stays the same unless the new guys do better so we need, get, we need to get guys in here you got to give younger players a chance if the older players haven't gotten it done and this bullpen you were right last week matt clentak has done a horrible job putting together this bullpen uh you asked about the cardinals the hope is that they return to play saturday the hope how many games do they play now all Five? right so- so here's under Major League Baseball's proposed schedule. The Cardinals will play 21 games in August, including four doubleheaders. Then they'll play 32 games in September, including seven doubleheaders. Hmm. They'd reach 58 games played under that schedule with the Monday after the season open to potentially play a game or two if it's needed for a playoff spot. That's that's all assuming <laughs> that, that they know there's no rainouts. That there's no rainouts. There. There's no way this is going to work for them. I don't know I don't what how doing. they're going to get this done. Without everybody, every arm on that team is going to fall off. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do, uh, how they expand rosters. 
Uh, did you see the the suspensions in the A's and uh, Astros clear, bench clearing brawl? It was classic. Uh, I've never I've never seen a guy charge a dugout before. Why is a hitting coach talking trash from the dugout? He's a hitting know. coach. I don't know why a coach would do that and put himself in that position. Uh, Alex Cinturon gets a twenty. But it's the Astros, right? It is the Astros. Well, they uh, there's there's always a story going on with the Astros, right? It is amazing how the Astros hitting has gone down significantly this year with no garbage cans in the dugout. Yeah, and there's going to be how a lot of happen? questions asking, uh, legitimate questions asked by people about that. There definitely are. You using what's going on with the Cleveland pitchers still? I don't think Zach Plesac quite gets it. I don't know. There are there are people in every walk of life that just don't get it. Like, can we just video go to going the after the Seahawks media. for a minute? Can we go to the Seahawks for a minute? <laughs> well, that's the contrast to what's going on in Major League Baseball, where they let these people violate rules and they give them a little slap on the wrist and say, uh, it's okay, you've been bad, come back in, even though you've exposed everybody to this and we've lost games and now we don't know how we're going to play a season. The Seahawks have a rookie who sneaks out or tries to sneak somebody into the hotel in Seahawks gear and they cut him. <laughs> why does wearing Seahawks gear, why did he think that was going to work? Apparently there's now females playing on the team in Seahawks gear. I don't know <laughs> where he was going with this idea. Can you imagine jeopardizing your whole playing career because of that? Yeah, but that's what happens. That's youth they just don't seem to understand that let's face it if that was russell wilson he wouldn't be cut from the team right now of course not right? they send a message so, they could yeah. send a message he's a mm -hmm. rookie i mean that that's what they're able to do and so well all i gotta say is i i hope it was worth it because because look, he's unemployed now and i don't know if he's gonna land another job unless i mean every time he gets asked about a job every time he gets interviewed now they're gonna ask him whether he's gonna do something stupid well, <laughs> they, he should be asked about it. Did you happen to catch any of Hard Knocks? They, they started with the L.A. teams? No. I, you know, it's, it is amazing to me how little people know about Hard Knocks this year. That for some reason, I don't know if it's the teams because it's the two L.A. teams, or if for some reason because of everything else that's going on, they're just not advertising. But I haven't seen anything for it other than what I've heard in the news after the first episode. I saw Anthony Lynn announced that he had COVID mm -hmm. <laughs> in the first Zoom. That's how they opened it. I mean, it's like a smack in the face of the real situation that these guys are going through. Doug Peterson is back at work, a bunch of the Eagles, Lane Johnson, right. uh, Jordan Maialata, all coming off of the COVID list. Um, so we'll see what football is able to do as they start to ram up. You see uh, the Washington owners trying to get Dan Snyder out, Jeff? Good. Good. <laughs> Growing fight inside the team. Uh, they want uh, Snyder to sell. He ain't going anywhere. Hey, by the way, we finally found a way after two decades to get Jerry Jones to shut up. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's got nothing to say. Go ahead. Say more about this. I, I do not understand how a guy who has made himself the face of an organization, a failed organization that has not won a Super Bowl, in how long? And he sits there and he's got a he's got a comment for everything all the time. And all of a sudden, he's got no comments. He's got no comments about what his players are going through. He's got no comments about what's going on with society. 
He's got no comments other than he's saying somehow there's going to be fans in Cowboys in Jerry world. How is it that Jerry has nothing to say all of a sudden? Uh, I'm just going with what Jerry says. Got nothing to say. (laughs) Playing the role of Jerry here for you. Jeffrey Lurie looks really good compared to most of the owners in the NFL, especially the ones in the NFC East. I mean, you're going to start to see more of this. And, you know, from an Eagles standpoint, you're, you're talking about young players. I, I don't see how Jalen Hurts gets anywhere near a football field this season. Why? Why? Because he's not going to get any reps. He, he's, they're going to give Nate Subfeld the reps to try and prep him as the backup quarterback. And so that means that he's the third string reps. And if he doesn't get reps, he's not going to be able to be prepared to play. I think you're underestimating Doug Peterson. If, if there is an NFL season, now that's the big if. If there's an NFL season, I think that he's going to play. I, I don't think that they drafted him to sit him on the bench to just be a, a disciple of Carson Wentz for a couple of years. I think that they plan on using When they drafted him, they, they didn't think everything would be during a pandemic lockdown for so long. So I think they're intent. They're still having practice. I think that they're, but they're not having the same amount of reps. The, everything is tighter. Uh, I, I just think that, their intent may have been to have him play more of a role. I think the practicality of him trying to get on the field more as a rookie, not getting all these things that he can learn now is going to be a challenge for him. All right. In the first quarter of the first game, if there's a season, there's going to be a play for Jalen Hurts. You watch. You watch. A play. No, we, well, I'm just saying in the first quarter, there's going to be a big play that's involving Jalen Hurts. Do you think he's just going to be a gadget? He's not going to just sit him. No, well, look, they said that they envisioned him as a guy who was going to have a Taysom Hill type role, right? And I don't think that they envisioned that it was going to happen two years from now. And despite the fact that maybe they don't have as many preseason games and they don't have as much practice time, they still do have practice time. They still have a playbook. And Doug Peterson is going to make sure that whatever he's able to do, they're going to let him do. So it's going to be partly whether or not he can master the playbook and some and other things. And let's face it, this is a guy who was at one college and excelled and then went to a co- another college with a different playbook and excelled again in one year. So I believe that they have a guy who's able to do that. And I think that we're underestimating him if we don't think that he's going to be able to be involved in this offense, especially with a, with a coach like Doug Peterson. All right, well, why don't we leave the football talk right there? Uh, Jeff, you ready to talk some puck? I am. All right, let's bring on NHL reporter for ESPN, Emily Kaplan. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. How are you guys? We are fantastic. Other than checking the flyer score right now, we're just not going to look at that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Jeff's, Jeff's got something he wants to start with that's much more important than sports. Yes, Emily. So you are also a North Jersey person like myself. And before we get to your story in hockey, I got to ask, how does someone become a self-professed bagel snob? Expert, um, someone becomes, yeah, a self-professed bagel snob when they grew up in New Jersey where there's great bagels, but lives in uh, Chicago now where everything is just garbage in my mind. So uh, everyone tries to get me to eat bagels here. I think they're no good. And that's how I'm a bagel snob. All right. So then I got a question for you. Where are the best bagels outside of New York and New Jersey? Uh, probably Montreal. Like they're a different style, but they're really good. If you've ever had a Montreal bagel. We, we had this discussion before we went on air. I went to Montreal and I said to Jason, I'm telling you in Montreal, they have good bagels. He's like, you you must be kidding. See, I told you Montreal is the place for bagels. <laughs> 
you just made Jeff's day because uh, <laughs> he was he was ranting about that a little bit before the show. You're a, a local person from Montclair, as we said. You went to Penn State. Uh, you're also a member of the team that that writes the Monday Morning Quarterback. What was that like for you to be involved in? Yeah, it was a really cool experience working with Peter King just to see, um, you know, how he operates. He files a monster of a column every Monday, and he talks to, you know, 10 influential coaches and players every Sunday night at like 2 a.m. So just to watch his work ethic and, you know, travel the country, which seems like a really long time ago, uh, but freely travel the country covering football and interesting characters. It was a really great career experience. Emily, you, you yourself had a great work ethic from an early age. You wrote for your hometown paper as a teenager. How did you get the bug to be a, a sports reporter? Um, you know, I wanted to do this since I was very young. Uh, it was one of those things that, like, I was six years old, and I said, I'm going to be a sports reporter because I love writing and I love sports, and I'm really bad at math. So it was always my goal. I went to Penn State because they specifically had a sports journalism program, and uh, that's where it went. What has this been like to cover for you? Obviously, the NHL is in the bubble right now. Uh, as a fan, I'm watching, seeing some spectacular hockey uh, as a reporter, how is it to get access to news and information and, and to cover this in a different time? Um, you know, it's definitely been an adjustment. And, you know, I, I think I took for granted just how easy my job could be when I could walk into an arena and anyone I wanted to talk to was right in front of me. And, you know, I think this has really tested a lot of relationships. You know, now we're so reliant on phone calls and texts and people getting back to us. And it was all that legwork the last, you know, couple of years that is paying off now or not paying off now. So, um, and you also just miss the human interactions. Like you can have a much more nuanced conversation with someone when it's in person um, and just being there at the rink, um, you know, just being in the energy, witnessing things. Um, being at practice. So it's very clear that I miss it, but uh, I think we're all just adapting to new realities right now. Well, for us, we are, even though it's for nothing now, so oh. Jason, do not look anymore. Um, it's for that nothing. I'm able to watch more games because I'm not the reason that they were losing because <laughs> I turned it off. But bef- prior to this game, uh, the Flyers have played incredibly well and their young goalie, Carter Hart, has has been nothing short of excellent. Uh, what are you hearing from people in the bubble about the Flyers and their chances of moving forward and, and what their prospects look like in the future? You know, I think this is a team that really surprised a lot of people from January on. They had the best record in the NHL, but when they got to the bubble, everyone kind of expected, oh, well, the Bruins or the Penguins or the Capitals, will, you know, shine through and the Flyers are still a couple years away. But with the way they started in that round robin in the first game against Montreal, not so much today, um, I, I think they really turned a lot of heads that this is a team um, that is in championship mode right now and could make it quite far. What's the feeling about some of the young players? Obviously, you know, we, we say Carter Hart, but Ivan Provorov is playing such a substantial role. Now you've got Joel Farabee up here. Some of the, the names that we've heard as fans in the system for years are now up here making a difference in a playoff run. Uh, what's the talk of, of the future of the team that they're seeing on the ice right now? Yeah, it's so bright. And, you know, I think that some credit does need to go to the former GM, Ron Hextall, because these are all prospects that he drafted. He was just really patient and didn't want to call them up soon enough. Um, you mentioned Farabee. He's got a couple goals in this tournament already. But, like, Ivan Provorov is 
and Travis Sanheim, both of them on defense um, have just been a revelation. I think people are looking at them now like true one, number one defenseman in the league, number two defenseman in the league type status. And the future is so bright for them because all of these guys are really, really early on in their career and have a lot of hockey ahead of them. I did want to ask after the, the first game, the head coach for Montreal uh, was taken to the hospital with chest pains. Looks like he's going to be out for the series. Uh, any update on what's going on there? Yeah, it's a scary situation. He had chest pains, but um, he got a stent um, at the hospital, and he returned home, like you said, to rest. Um, Honestly, it's a stressful time. Who knows if it was a pre-existing condition? Who knows if it was the environment? Um, But I do think it was the right call just to remove him from the team, let him go back to his family and recover, um, because they have a very capable assistant coach, as you guys see. Uh, He's leading this team to quite the win, uh, Kirk Muller. Um, and he's definitely offensive-minded, and, and it's interesting that you're seeing his style already translate in this first game behind the bench. You talked about it being possibly being a stressful time in the bubble. What are you hearing from the players as to how they're dealing with it, how they're blowing off steam when they're not playing games? You know, there's not that much to do, but I think as so far, everyone has kind of kept their head up high. You know, nothing is ideal. Um, but everyone knows that the NHL is doing the best they can. But, you know, in the Toronto bubble, for example, they have access to the Major League Soccer field. They can go throw a football around there, play spike ball is very popular. This uh, simulated golf uh, that guys can play, it's like a simulated driving range or a ping pong. So they're just doing little things to keep themselves busy. We've yeah, seen- what could you possibly do in Edmonton to keep yourself busy? <laughs> uh, there's golf. They can, they're going to take them out to some golf trips soon. Well, they'll enjoy that. We, we've on the ice. We've seen some spectacular hockey. I mean, the other day you had a game start at three oh nine in the afternoon, and five overtimes later, it ended six hours later, uh, setting a record for eighty five saves in a game. What was the NHL's thought of of that game, which forced games to be moved around to the next day? Yeah, I think it's just what I was talking about earlier. Everyone is just adapting, but. This is why we love playoff hockey. It's so unpredictable. It's so exciting. Everyone's putting their all in. And that five overtime game was just a gruel. But what was even more impressive to me was the way they all bounced back for game two, especially Columbus, which lost and put up a really good performance. How does the NHL feel about their bubble right now? They've they've had zero positive tests. Uh, I don't know if they could have painted a better scenario uh, from a fan perspective, to me, that the telecast and broadcast is is flawless. The sound, the the look of the arena. Is the NHL satisfied with with what they're doing and what they're getting out of what they put in? They are. Um, you know, like you said, the broadcast looks great, and they've had a really so far successful time um, keeping health and safety protocols at a very elite level. And it's clear that they put a lot of thought, a lot of planning, a lot of money into this tournament. I think one thing no one's talking about is it's very expensive to stage this, millions of dollars in corona tests alone. Um, but they do feel confident. I think everyone's just knocking on wood, hoping that they can uh, you know, complete this thing at the same pace. From what you've seen of all the teams that are still in the bubble, um, who do you think is going to be the one that comes out of this? <laughs> I honestly have zero idea. I, I, I literally couldn't give you an answer. That's a good duck, Jeff. That's, I mean, that's almost as good as Kevin Casey changing the topic after he asked the first question. In that interview. Uh, I did want to ask you a little bit. What was the league reaction after the Rangers won the draft lottery? Fans obviously complaining if they're not a Rangers fan. Uh, what was the reaction to them uh, walking away with the first pick? You know, Gary Bettman would never say it out loud, but this is good for the league. Um, you know, at a time when they're losing a lot of money, 
um, are, are competing against a lot of different entities for people's dollars. Um, when their big market teams are relevant, it's very good for the league and the league prospers. So I think this was the right time for that to happen. Um, and I think Gary Bettman was probably pretty happy, even if he would never admit it. So Emily, how much are you enjoying doing your podcast? For people that don't know, she's doing ESPN on Ice. Yeah, no, I do it with Greg Wyshynski, and it's just, um, we're a great team together. Uh, it's just the two of us kind of manning the ESPN coverage, and I love chatting with him, and we love bringing in guests and having conversations like this. All right, on, on ESPN's website, if people haven't seen, Emily is wearing a Quebec Nordiques jersey. Is there a story yeah, behind has one of those. Um, there's literally no story to it. We were taking the photos that day. My editor said he had it in his trunk, very questionable. And I said, that would be fun. If Greg's going to wear a devil's jersey, then I'll wear this. There you go. Uh, how can people follow if they want to stay up to the latest news on Twitter? Obviously, they can read your stuff on ESPN. How can they stay updated on your latest news? Yeah, um, I would say go to ESPN.com slash NHL. I know it's annoying the tab's not on the homepage, but there's a lot of good stuff there. And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. But I really appreciate the conversation, guys. This was fun. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate the time and look forward to seeing your coverage as we go forward. And we'll try to send you some uh -huh. bagels. Yeah. We'll <laughs> I have plenty in my freezer, trust me. But I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the time. Have a great one. Bye. Jeff, if only the Flyers were winning, we could have like gotten into that and, you know, instead it's four nothing. We, we, st we still have gritty. We do still have gritty. Um, it's one I, game. Look, you, you, did you think they were going to go through this the, without having some hiccups, especially when they have Carey Price as the goalie no. that they're going against? No, not at all. Have you watched the other hockey, though? Have you watched yeah. those games? Playoff though? hockey. There, There is never enough time to watch enough playoff hockey. Like I know our producer, Mike Vito, I know that he was watching the six-hour game because I was texting with him throughout it. Did you watch a lot of that game, the 85 saves? It was yeah, I, well, I even I even like turned it off, came back, and it was like, it, it's just never-ending. Like You just can't believe it. It was it was crazy. Corpusello played out of his mind. Stopped thirty six shots on thirty seven attempts in the next game. Look, you're you're seeing a lot of uh, series tied one one right now, mm -hmm. and that's good for the NHL. It's it's more hockey to play. So, well, are you are you going to espouse the conspiracy theory, or are we going to not? No, I'm not. It's silly because they sent me the ESPN scores, and they all listed. Uh, the series at one, one and Colorado already won. So that killed that. Um, but any people will speculate about anything, Jeff. So I'm just not going to buy into it. Uh, did you see Jacob deGrom scratch from tonight's game for the Phillies? Yay. If only Phillies. that would help the Phillies bullpen. <laughs> the Phillies still need to go get a pitcher who can go more than four in the third inning. So let's hope this is Spencer Howard's night to shine. Why do you always bring us back to details, Jeff? I'm sorry. What can I do? Let, let's talk a little college football because <laughs> it's gotten a tiny bit crazy. You want to do that before you talk Sixers? I'll uh, I'll do that. I'll, I'll go college football. Right. Um, did, did you see the UMass coach this week, Jeff? What did he say? He said that the telling his uh, kids and and having them cancel the season was more upsetting than the death of his parents. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. And Lou Holtz made a comment about uh, you know you lose people in war kind of stuff this is why these two coaches and i'm not just blaming just them because lou holtz is irrelevant at this point other than he just talks a lot and people listen um this is why presidents needed to do what they did at least so far in the pac-12 and the big 10 
and some independents and some other leagues is because you don't know what's going to happen. But what you do know is that when it comes to competition, people cut corners when they can. Unfortunately, some of them do it at the risk of the health of other people. And in this case, it's students who aren't getting paid. If in addition to those two coaches, if you saw Florida State, you now have three wide receivers who went out and on social media said that they're concerned about the transparency of their team. And not well, practice squad guys, not that that would make a difference. These are like the top starting wide receivers on the team. Yes. And, and when the coach was asked about it, I believe the next day, he said he hadn't spoken to the players yet. Which is despicable. Okay. That's exactly why this cannot go on. And that's in the Colorado State, which is now investigating allegations in their program of players saying that tests were covered up and, and people were not honest about the risks that the players were put under there. So it does reinforce what you were saying last week. You know, I, I try real hard not to ascribe motives to people, but it's hard to defend it when you see these allegations continue to come out. And then you see these coaches making these comments and these arguments. Nebraska talked about leaving the Big Ten. Yes, and I, and I can't wait till we can have Desmond Howard on at some point to talk about that further because his response to it was was precious. I mean, S- Scott Frost needs to just shut up, okay? As as other people have have pointed out, Scott Frost is still complaining that he doesn't he has a fake national championship from US UCF and hasn't done a darn thing since he got back to Nebraska. And Nebraska's sitting there saying, "Well, if the Big 10 won't play, we're going to leave and play games." Where were they going to go? Okay, how how dumb do you have to be to realize there's no place you can go? Nobody, no other league's going to take you. And if you think the Big Ten, which I believe pays each team about fifty-two million dollars for their football program, are you th- saying that the Big Ten's going to say, "Yeah, go ahead, play somewhere else"? And if we play in the spring, you won't play there, and we're going to give you your fifty-two million dollars? That's not going to happen. You don't think that's how the negotiation is going to go? Well, now they say they've dropped it. The reason they dropped it is because there was no place for them to go. And you know what? Sometimes it's a good idea to think and look before you speak. And Scott Frost did not do that. Look before you leap. The NCAA announced last week that all fall championships would be canceled if more than 50% of playoff eligible teams didn't play. They made it official on Thursday. We can't at this point have fall championships. At the same time, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 aren't ready to give up the ghost, Jeff. Yeah, because it's about money. It's not about championships. So how's this going to work? They're going to play. Those three conferences, I guess, are going to play themselves. And then they're going to have, I guess, a four-team playoff. My guess is if they're going to go forward with this, they're going to have their each conference's champion. And then they will have one at large, which will be Alabama. Well, I... I (laughs) I mean, that's that's how this is going to work if it goes forward. It doesn't make sense for it to go forward. But I do see the concern with having this in the spring only because if you have it in the spring, are you then going to get the kids wrapped up to play in the fall again? That's a lot of football. Purdue's coach had a proposal that would play, I believe, eight to 10 games in the spring with championships, and then they wouldn't start until October uh, in a bridge season next year. You mean he actually like thought it out and came up with a yeah proposal? somebody somebody actually came yeah. up with a proposal imagine that you know something to talk about and negotiate over yeah maybe Scott Frost should go up the road and see if he could talk to Jeff Brom how's that for maybe, maybe. Uh, did you Let's see go Sixers come on 
So we, no, no, I want to get uh, in a second. Uh, obviously, we talked about the we want to play movement from the players last week. At the same time, do you see the senators introducing the college athletes' bill of rights this week? Mm-hmm. It, I, I st- look. Can this be legislated? And I'm gonna. Tr- we're gonna try to get somebody. Yes, to it, talk it can about be. That. It can be legislated. The problem is, is that I don't know if it can be enforced. The, the problem with allowing some of this stuff to happen is that there are so many unscrupulous people trying to take advantage of the system that that's when people say that the NCA has been difficult. Yeah, they don't do things right a lot of the time. But one of the things that is impossible to enforce is the idea of how do you let players benefit from their likeness and things like that without boosters taking advantage of it. There used to be rules where players could could make some money, but then what would happen is boosters would pay them $1,000 to mow their lawn and they never showed up to mow the lawn. And so you have these situations where the enforcement divisions of each conference or at each school are going to be massive. How are you going to enforce who's going to get paid for their likeness and from who? Is it going to run through some NCAA body to do this? Is it going to be up to the schools to do it? Those are the things that if they're going to have this kind of legislation, it's going to go through, then they have to make sure that there's money there to deal with these things. You think it's more done as a threat to make the leagues regulate themselves and do these things, or do they seriously think they can get results from this? No, I think they seriously think they can get results from it. I, I, don't, I don't think that this group of senators is doing this in order to, to make them behave better. I think that they feel that at this point, they can't trust them to behave better. Well, we'll look to see if we can get more of that in the future. Jeff, a couple minutes left. The Sixers. Ah, uh, the Sixers. Play tonight, 9 p.m. against the Rockets. Joel Embiid and Glenn Robinson, the third are questionable. Joel should just sit in bubble wrap right now. They should all. Uh, they, there's no reason to play this game. This game serves no purpose at this, this point. This is the game I'm okay with Neto being on the court, Jeff. Exactly. We finally found a purpose for him. <laughs> Put him out there and let him play. And maybe this game, they'll let Kyle O'Quinn get his useless triple-double. <laughs> right? What, what are we seeing from this team now? I, I mean... An early exit? Okay, we'll get there in a second. Yeah. Sixers have lost to the Suns. Uh, they have not played very well. They lost... Uh, they're going to play Boston in the first round. Simmons is obviously out. Embiid, who knows about what his health is. This team, again, seems to not have a point guard, distributor, shooter to be able to function in what this league is right now. I guess they are what we thought they were, but what are your thoughts right now heading into a playoff series against Boston? Boston seems to think the Sixers will be lucky if they win a game. I don't see how this Sixers team beats Boston. I don't see how Brett Brown survives this unless they're going to say, well, look, Ben Simmons got hurt. Joel wasn't healthy. There's maybe Haven't there's- we heard that for years. Yes, we have they heard that. Gypsies. Now they're all injured. At what point do you actually have to coach the team that you're given? Uh, this is the time. I mean, this Celtics team is not great. It's a no. good team, but th- this is not a team that I think that is going to be contending for the, the NBA title this year. And Kemba Walker's health is something to watch going into this series. He yeah, is quite, quite frankly, all the good teams are in the West. Some of them have actually already left. So I wanted to talk to you about that. Phoenix wins eight games in a row in the bubble and still doesn't make the playoffs, Jeff. Yeah, that, that just goes to show you what was the point in having this? Did you like, watch- What was the point in bringing all of those teams there if 
you could win every game in the bubble. I truly felt bad for Suns fans because they needed the Nets to beat the Trailblazers last night. And it was a high scoring back and forth game, but the Nets were in it and they were up at the end. And Damian Lillard is just relentless. That is the clear MVP of this bubble experience. He has, for people who don't get to watch Trailblazers basketball because they're on the West Coast, one of the benefits of this bubble is we've all gotten to see this guy and he is a superstar. He is the true meaning of, I don't know if you saw, there was a point during the game, I think it was in the third quarter or beginning of the fourth, he dribbled up the court, took one and a half steps or so over the midcourt line and, and shot it like he was two feet away and it was, it a, was a shot. It wasn't like a heave. It was, it was a no. shot. It, w- it was the same motion as a shot as if he was, you know, two feet, five feet away. It was incredible. The shoot and, and the coach for the other team immediately called a timeout because you need to do something. When he gets hot, there's nothing you can do to stop him. There's no place he can't a, make a basket. Sixers gave a bunch, bunch of points to him, too. Everybody's given up a bunch of points to him. He's He has been incredible in this experience. Now, who's not going to be there? Is Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson. Uh-huh. Not making it. The ESPN very upset about that. The NBA very upset about that. And the way Portland is playing, there's a decent chance the Lakers go home in the first round. Well, they don't play the Lakers just yet. They play Memphis for a play-in game still. Right. So the NBA got a little bit what they wanted with a play-in game there. Yeah, but Memphis is limping into this. Memphis does not have the horses to keep up with Portland. Portland is not just Damian Lillard. They got CJ McCollum. You got Gary Trent Jr. They got Nurkic. They have a talented team. I'm shocked every time I look at the standings and see that Portland was below 500. I don't know how that team could have that bad a record. Who else do you see coming out of the West? I mean, obviously, Portland's a hot team. The Lakers are the top seed. Um, what, what do you see there? Got the Rockets. I Rockets. don't, I, I don't not understand what the rocker Rockets management was thinking when they made Robert Covington, the center, how in the world did they have nobody? I think nobody over the, the height of six, eight. That's going to be the last word for this week. Thanks for joining us this week on the heart of sports. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.